Jacques alongside a pretty excited and hyper Tyler Burton. <laughs> Tyler, how we doing? I'm good, man. Yeah, very hyper. Uh, was planning on going to the gym before recording the podcast. Uh, took the pre-workout at work, drove all the way to the gym, changed clothes, uh, and then found out that I left my shoes. So uh, yeah, we're about a scoop and a half of pre-workout, uh, running on a pretty good high right now. So let's talk some football. A lot to get to. Yeah, so Tyler has promised that this will be our best podcast ever, uh, despite uh, Corbin being out this week. So we'll see where it leads us. But I think before we jump into football, we do need to recognize a new national champion in the Sooner family, women's gymnastics. They brought home the title this past weekend, and mm-hmm. I think it was, what, five in the last eight years, something something crazy. So yeah, uh, congrats um, and kudos oh- to, to women's gym. Absolutely. Football's king in this state. It definitely is on this podcast, but anytime a sport at the University of Oklahoma wins a national championship, we're going to kick things off talking a little bit about that. And Adam, it was a comeback for the ages down in Fort Worth over the weekend as the OU women's gymnastics team won their fifth national championship. It didn't start out very good, Adam, by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think the girls had their worst statistical performance of the season on floor right out of the gate. Uh, They finished the first rotation in fourth place. And from that point on, uh, KJ Kindler squad, they just turned it on and never looked back. So um, OU was lights out over the final three rotations to finish with a 198.2, just edging out Florida, Utah, and Auburn. Uh, And Adam, I tweeted it out as soon as it went final. This is KJ Kindler and OU Women's Gymnastics' fifth national championship in the last eight years. So um, we talk about how dominant softball is. Football is always, you know, knocking out of the park. But women's gymnastics, man, what KJ Kindler has done in, in less than a decade uh, you know, with her time being here in Oklahoma, it's it's as dominant of a run as I can remember in collegiate sports. Um, you know, definitely on the on the same par with OU softball, uh, UConn women's uh, basketball, Alabama football. Um, KJ Kindler's got it going, and this is a really really young team, so expect them to be back in a big way uh, in 2023. Yeah, it felt like just a few weeks ago that Corbin and I were talking about how this team, I think, lost two matches in the regular season for the first time Mm -hmm. since, I think, something like 2014 or something crazy. So not only did they face adversity in the uh, championship round there, but uh, also just throughout the season to bounce back and avenge their loss against uh, Utah and and also uh, get a second win against Florida in the uh, finals there. So a great win for for the girls there. Uh, Well, and I think it's even more impressive. I mean, first rotation right out of the box, you know, they they kind of fell flat on the floor rotation. You know, it didn't live up to their standards the way they expect to perform. You know, they had every reason to, you know, maybe be kicking themselves. It's just not our day. Um, Let's try to do the best we can. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But, you know, after the first rotation, they responded in a big way. Um, by uh, I think they got uh, set NCAA records on two of the final three events, vault and uneven bars. Uh, you know, Catherine Lavouser, she led the way on vault with a nine nine seven five, and Danielle um, Sievers. I apologize if I'm if I'm mispronouncing that name, but she came up clutch on the uneven bars with a nine nine seven five of her own. So, um, Adam, I've I was. I was watching it uh, coming down. I, I think I caught the final hour of it. You know, Florida's last participant in their final rotation posted a perfect 10 right as OU's final girl, Reagan Smith, uh, stepped up to, to take her final place uh, as the anchor. And, you know, Reagan, she came up big like she's done all season long, anchored with a 99625. Uh, to clinch the championship for the Sooners. And like you said, just a fantastic way to cap off the season. Kind of some high, some highs and lows definitely over the course of the regular season for KJ's group, um, but they capped it off in a big way and another national championship heading back to Norman. 
Yeah. In the normal home of women's gymnastics, uh, the Lloyd Noble Center, the men's team was actually taking on Stanford and some others mm-hmm. in the uh, national championship rounds there for men's gymnastics. And unfortunately, the men's team uh, came up just short, finishing runner up, uh, took another loss to uh, to Stanford. I think they're second in about three weeks time frame. Mm-hmm. So uh, Stanford yeah. had an incredible team. They won that match by about nine points, which is a yeah. pretty decent margin in uh, men's gymnastics. So yeah. Um, Came up just short the first time that OU actually had hosted the uh, national championship since 2015. So mm-hmm. you thought, hey, maybe there's a chance coming in that um, OU would have that, uh, I don't know what you call it, home court, but home gym <laughs> advantage, I guess. <laughs> uh, but uh, didn't work out. Maybe they should have played it at McCaslin instead. <laughs> but uh, but still, runner-up is, is really great for, for men's gymnastics, and hopefully uh, they can bounce back again next year and, and get another one of those cha- uh, championships back uh, back in Norman. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, f- fantastic season. I think that, you know, Mark Williams touched on it, uh, you know, in the post-meet uh, press conference when, you know, talking about Stanford. This was probably one of Stanford's best teams of all time. Just an unbelievable collection of talent that they've got out there at Palo Alto. They were the heavy favor going into the preseason for, you know, men's collegiate gymnastics. But, um, you know, this is a really, really young Oklahoma team. That's another thing that Coach Williams talked about. They're going to be back next season, probably in the top two in the preseason. So they're going to be right there in line to compete for another national championship in 2023. And, you know, another stat, um, you know, credit, uh, you know, Soonersports.com and, the, you know, the multimedia uh, writers kind of putting the article together to kind of recap the performance. Uh, they put, I found a, you know, phenomenal stat. Oklahoma has finished in the top two in 19 of the past 21 NCAA championships. So, I mean, that's, that's just silly. When you talk about consistency, you talk about excellence, what Mark Williams has done in his time here at Oklahoma, building uh, OU gymnastics up to what it is. Um, we, we've got the best gymnastics program from top to bottom, men's and women's, both sides of the board. Um, so, you know, they came up just a little bit short, but Stanford was dominant all year long. They were the better team all season. Um, but Mark Williams' team, they'll be back in a big way next year for sure. Yeah. Tyler, is there a big game happening on Saturday? Uh, yeah, uh, about three o'clock Owen field corner of Aspen Jenkins. I believe there's a game going on and there might even be a statue being unveiled. So we'll see if the weather can cooperate, but, uh, <laughs> I was just going to say, it's going to be pouring <laughs> rain the entire time, right? Everyone's, everyone's it's, got doomsday weather scenarios going on, <laughs> dude. It's, it's not looking good. I've checked the forecast about three to four times a day of the past 48 hours. So, um, I hope that we can escape it. If there's one thing I know about Oklahoma weather, I do not trust the forecast until the morning of. Um, so fingers crossed because there's a lot of exciting things going on in Norman this weekend and a uh, pretty big recruiting weekend as well. Um, I think that, uh, you know, this is a big recruiting weekend for Oklahoma as the Sooners are set to play host to many, many different four and five stars from all over the country. At the moment, Adam, it does seem like Oklahoma is searching for a little bit, bit of momentum on the recruiting front as they just have four guys committed in the 2023 class. Um, this will be by far I think the biggest opportunity so far for Brent Venables and this coaching staff to get in front of these recruits and their families and truly sell them on why Oklahoma is the best place for them. And, you know, Adam, it remains to be seen how many, if any, commits we'll get coming out of this weekend. But you'd have to think with so many former players coming into town for this game, they're going to be here to witness the statue uh, unveiling of Baker Mayfield. Oklahoma is going to pull out all the stops this weekend uh, to try to impress all the visitors coming into Norman starting on Thursday. Yeah, there's some big names. Um, I think most notably Jackson Arnold coming in, the ringleader of the 2023 class, as it stands today. I know A&M wants mm-hmm. to make a run at him, and there's 
a lot of people that lost their minds about some uh, different rumors about that last week. But as it stands today, you know, he's the the name of the class and hopefully he can bring some guys in. I think if you were asking me, the name that I'm keeping my eye the closest on is not a 2023 kid. It's probably David Stone uh, from 2024. Mm -hmm. He seems real close to a commitment. He seems to love what's going on at OU, Todd Bates, um, the whole nine yards. So he's the guy I've got my eye on as far as a commit watch. But I think the most interesting ones, too, just from a general fan perspective, is always going to be the quarterbacks. You've got Arnold, who's already committed, but you've also Mm -hmm. got 2025 coming in. And uh, Bjorn, and I believe the last name is, is... it might be a soft J there, Jurgensen or Jurgensen <laughs> out of the uh, Orlando area of Florida. So that'll be interesting to see how that comes out. We just saw another 2025 quarterback visit uh, David McCollum out of Edmund Memorial um, yep. this, uh, I guess, about a week ago. So um, there's some some different things going on there. And we've even had some 2024 guys that have uh, re- visited recently from the quarterback position. So we're always looking at those guys saying, hey, who Who's ready to commit there? Because that's usually the foundation of your class. Mm-hmm. And I think another one of the you know true position groups that I'm going to kind of be keeping my eye on, and you know Joshua Bates, the the center commit uh, for this 2023 class, he tweeted out on social media a little earlier today. There's going to be so many offensive linemen coming in this weekend, both 2023 and 2024. So when you've got Joshua Bates, kind of the center, the anchor of that offensive line, he's going to be on campus, kind of you know trying to pull guys to join him, having Jackson Arnold on campus as well. Um, you know him being around. Uh, a group of potential recruits that are going to come in and block for him over the next three to four years. That's going to be key uh, and really nice for for them to have both the center and the quarterback uh, on campus uh, committed. And then, then also you look at guys like Peyton Kirkland uh, and then the, the McDonald kid. There's going to be a lot of talent um, up front on the defensive line as well. So we'll see what BB, Ted Roof, and, and Todd Bates can do as far as closing in on guys. Um, and like I said, like I touched on a little bit, you know, in kind of the opening segment on this, Adam, only four commits right now. It's all, and again, I know that it's only May right now, but when you look in, you look at the philosophy that you know Brent Venables kind of hangs his hat on with you know only commit to is if you're ready to completely shut it down, you're 100 percent on us. Um, we'll see how that plays out after this weekend, but only having four commits right now, OU's got to get things going, um, and it starts this weekend heading into a big time summer. Yeah, and there's going to be plenty of uh, name players back in Norman, whether they're recent oh, yeah. stars or or maybe former stars, stars uh, maybe from a little bit further past. I saw Jason White uh, tweeted today that he's going to be back for the spring game. He's pretty much at all the mm. games anyway, but uh, <laughs> he's a guy that I, pretty much, every, I guess everybody that is uh, currently in the recruiting game, they were born after he played, which is kind of crazy to think about, but... Um, but Jason White's going to be there. A lot of other guys, a lot of, uh, it sounds almost like a reunion of former guys that are coming back to the program. Maybe that mm-hmm. had distance, not because of anything the program did or just, you know, time, you know, uh, brings that. But I think a lot of guys yeah. are energized to get back, get more involved, uh, with Brent Venables back in town. So I think that'll be exciting. And of course, Baker Mayfield being the headliner of that, it's kind of disappointing that, he has the situation going on with the NFL right now, so we really can't celebrate everything he's accomplished at the next level. But again, it's not really about what he's doing in the NFL or what he might do in the NFL in the future, if anything at all at this point. It's it's what he did at OU, and so I'm really excited for that special time um, to mm-hmm. see the new trophy, see what, it, what pose it's going to be, and I think people are going to be pumped up for it, so... 
Yeah, I mean, I know that, you know, kind of you know in the background, everybody's going to be thinking about what's going on with his contract and his status in the NFL with the Cleveland Browns. But like you said, at the end of the day, this is a celebration about his accomplishments and his time here at Oklahoma. You know, OU put out that, you know, fantastic two and a half, three minute video yesterday, um, you know, having uh, little snippets, interviews with Coach Stoops, Caleb Kelly, Nick Basquin, and a few other guys that were able to coach and play with Baker. Uh, you know, during his four years here in Norman. But no, it's going to be a lot of fun. And again, pray that the weather holds out because, um, you know, we've, we, we're continuing to see the numbers trend in a positive way as far as ticket sales goes. This should be a really, really good crowd if weather permits in uh, at inside Owen Field on Saturday. Um, but Adam, just kind of, I just kind of want to touch on this, you know, briefly when talking about the spring game. It's it's so hard to evaluate, you know, what what takeaways can we get from this? What are we going to be watching for? What really can you know, can we take and, you know, say that, you know, this is going to translate into the fall? You know, what what happens in the game on Saturday, whether it's position groups, uh, depth chart, who plays where, how many plays does this guy get? How's that going to impact, uh, you know, the 2022 season? But um, just kind of what, what where do we want to start on this? Do we want to talk some position battles, maybe a guy that we're going to have our eyes on during this game? Kind of start wherever you want to on this. Let's go position battles. I think backup quarterbacks one that everyone's going to be closely looking at Mm -hmm. it's one that's really set up for Micah Bowens to have a ton of success here being one of the more experienced guys being that the conditions might be rainy windy he's one of the fastest guys out there so he'll have a chance to be successful you know they won't be able to really touch him or tackle him so he might have some success that other guys aren't capable of having and you know other guys being younger uh, a Ralph Rucker or uh, Nick Evers, I think he'll just be more polished uh, as a passer and just as a leader and getting offense lined up and everything. So I know I've kind of been on the Micah Bowens train a little bit simply because he does have the most experience. And I got laughed at uh, when I brought that up a couple months back. But <laughs> it sounds like some other people that have actually heard practice reports, been at practice, are saying the same thing. Yeah, I think it was uh, on Oklahoma Breakdown, uh, you know, Teddy and Gabe were talking about how they've seen some really good things and have heard from coaches that Micah Bowens is performing really, really well. Um, you know, BV talked in the in his press conference today, Dylan Gabriel is going to be playing quarterback a little bit for both teams on Saturday. But, you know, I'm really interested to, to see a guy like Nick Evers, you know, true freshman. He was a four-star, a guy that we were able to get late. Uh, Coach Levy, you know, in his first day as offensive coordinator, was able to bring him in and join the 2022 class. So seeing a guy like Nick Evers, what he can do, you know, obviously he's extremely talented, but very raw, still being developed at this point right now. What can he do? And then you talk about a guy like Micah Bowens, who has been on campus already for a year, year and a half, learning a new system. But, you know, we know that he has a lot of the tools, especially athleticism, to be able to compete and, you know, get the offense up and down the field. And then, Adam, we're also hearing some pretty good things, it sounds like, from Ben Harris. And I know that that's not a not a name that uh, too many OU fans are going to be familiar with, but we're hearing some good things, it sounds like, on the back end or behind the scenes, I should say, about what Ben's doing. Um, and again, I think that running back kind of transitioning to another position in the backfield, that's going to be one that's going to be interesting to see how it plays out on Saturday. Uh, sounds like I, I really don't expect to see a whole lot of Eric Gray. Um, just, for, you know, if, if the weather's going to be bad, I don't think it's worth, you know, handing him the football a ton. We kind of know what he can do, uh, what his skill set is. Um, and do then we? we talk about, do we though? Like, because he played less and less as the season went on last year and, 
when he did get the ball, he really didn't do a whole lot. So I don't feel like we know what he can do. Yeah. We, we, we know what he did at Tennessee, but at OU, I don't know that we saw that with our own eyes. So he's actually the I, one, maybe he won't get too many opportunities on Saturday, but he's the one mm-hmm. that I'm the most interested in seeing what he can do because your other guys like a Marcus major, mm-hmm. he's, he is what he is. I think, I don't think he's going to be able right. to wow us necessarily with some right. newfound ability <laughs> necessarily. Yeah. Eric Gray's the one we haven't seen. Yeah. Well, and I think that's what's so crazy. Eric Gray, his stats and his film and his play was better at Tennessee than it was at Oklahoma. And we're talking about going up against SEC defenses on a weekend and week out basis. But, um, you know, Marcus Major's been nicked up um, through, throughout the spring a little bit. So I think we're really going to have a lot of opportunities to see what a guy like true freshman Javante Barnes is going to be able to do. We've heard rave reviews from DeMarco Murray about how he's impressed as a true freshman. And then also uh, the transfer to uh, Tawi Walker, uh, the Juco guy. Um, you know, not having Eric Gray uh, available through, throughout uh, most of the game. Marcus Major is going to be nicked up. I think that you're going to see those two guys get an opportunity to carry the football uh, a good amount. So I'm really excited to see what the running back position is going to be able to do. Um, and offensive line is another interesting one as well. And I think that this is going to be the position group that, Honestly, Saturday is going to tell us the least simply because this roster is going to be split. You're not going to see the the five or six guys, uh, the top five or six guys that Bill Beanbow's going to typically trots out there. You're going to see some different ones, some different lineups. But um, so I think that from a fan aspect, if you if you want to watch the offensive line, you may want to focus a little bit more on what each person does uh, on a one on one type scenario. You know, whether it's in pass protection, run blocking, because I don't think you're going to see the five best guys out there. Uh, at once on the field on Saturday, unfortunately. Yeah, and I think that does kind of negate what we might see from the running backs. Javante Barnes mm-hmm. is probably going to get a ton of carries just being the new yeah. guy. The walk-ons are going to get a ton of new carries. So, mm-hmm. But they're going to be doing that from an offensive line that's completely you know, mismatched, mismatched uh, as far as just moving all the guys around. So I guess from yeah. an offensive line perspective, there's two names that I'm going to be watching, not necessarily to see how they do or anything, really just to see how much they play. Uh, one being Tyler Guyton, a guy that I think mm-hmm. a lot of us say probably needs to work on his body a little bit and and get adjusted. And then I I don't know is is Andrew Rame going to play? I know he's he's been in a boot almost okay. all all of spring, so I I'd, okay, be, so I'd probably be surprised not. if he got much ran. Okay, yeah, that yeah. would be the other one just to see if he played at all. But it sounds like probably not then. So other than that, I don't know what else you can glean because you're not going to be able to say, oh, Savion Bird's playing over Anton Harrison. They're both going to play. They're going to be on opposite Mm -hmm. teams probably. But so I don't know how much you really learn from this experience from that. And unfortunately, the offensive line is so critical for every other piece of how the offense performs. So it might not be the best day for the offense. Yeah. And, you know, flipping over to the other side of the ball as well, um, I think I had some pretty good conversations a couple of days ago. Um, sounds like there's a lot of optimism regarding what this offense could be, but there's a lot of head scratching and question marks right now on the defensive side of the football, particularly on the interior of this defense. Uh, I think the defensive tackle is one where there's a lot of there's a lot of potential right there, and I know that Todd Bates and, and you know Ted Roof are trying to you know milk as much out of that position group from a production standpoint as possible. A lot of new faces in that room, but I think that that's one that they are hoping. They can continue to take the next step, um, you know, over the course of the summer and into fall camp. Because if there's one thing that we've seen when Brent Venables' defenses, you know, back in the early 2000s at Oklahoma, or even you know in the mid 2000s starting at Clemson, when Brent Venables' defenses have been at their best, it's when they have a dominant front four. 
um, guys that can get after the pass, uh, get after the passer, uh, you know, stop the running game. But uh, defensive line is one that's going to be interesting to watch. And then also, Adam, I think that middle linebacker is one where I think that it might be kind of sunshine and rainbows right now. What's getting pumped up? Um, I think you know, in talking to a couple people over the over the past week, I think that there's a lot of not necessarily concern. But they need to see a little bit more from that middle linebacker position. You know, Deshaun White, David Aguebu, they played a lot of football at Oklahoma. Um, are they going to be able to take that next step? Or are we going to see guys that are, you know, underclassmen beneath them, like a Shane Witter, a Danny Stutzman, a Jaron Canick? They're, you know, maybe a little bit more superior athletic wise. Are they going to be able to find a way to get on the field if it can click for them mentally um, upstairs? But uh, I, I think that the interior on the defensive line is going to be one of the things that I'll be interested to watch. And then seeing how the linebacker position is utilized uh, in this defense on Saturday, whether that's them running a 4-2-5, 3-3-5, you know, wh- whatever Venables and Ted Roof want to do, whatever they want to show in a spring game. Um, but honestly, man, I, I think that I think that there are more – not necessarily storylines, but there's so many different things as a fan. Um, and, you know, we're, we're diehard fans, ones that cover the team, or, you know, follow this as, as close as almost anybody. There's so many out, there's so many new guys, there's new schematics. There's going to be a lot of fun things to watch on Saturday. Yeah, the alignment is in- interesting. You know, how is that going to play mm-hmm. out? Specifically for a guy like Clayton Smith that I'm not really sure where he plays in the Brent Venables defense. So I want to check those alignments, see how often that changes, how many defensive backs are on the field, how many linebackers are out there, so on and so forth. Um, because mm-hmm. he's a guy that we saw his tape out of high school, an absolute monster uh, from, uh, I believe, Texarkana. And so can Brent Venables unlock that after what was probably a disappointing freshman year? Although, you know, being a true freshman, there's adjustments, especially when you're a lineman, but he really yeah, Nick Benito ahead of you. Yeah, yeah. But he 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 really didn't play at all. He was kind of non-existent. So mm-hmm. uh, he's a guy that you definitely want to keep around. He's got immense talent. Uh, I got to find a, a spot for him. As far as other linebackers, prepare for TD roof time. <laughs> I think he's going to play a <laughs> lot in the spring game. I think people will. Some people will love it, and they'll be like, "Oh, it's gritty coach's son." Yada yada. And some people will absolutely mm-hmm. hate it. I'm probably a little bit closer to that camp. He sounds like your traditional player that. The coaches love because he always is in the right you know spot. He knows how to line other people up. He knows all the assignments. They trust him highly. But athletically, he's probably not the best player to put in that position. So you really yeah. need another guy to come in and, and just shine, push I him. guess. Push him, yeah. yeah. Push him out of that yeah. spot. Whether that's Stutzman, whether that's White. I know Deshaun White kind of feels like he is what he is at this point. Mm-hmm. But you'd love to see a younger guy like a Shane Witter or Danny Stutzman come in and supplant uh, someone like T.D. Roof but I think we'll see a lot of roof in the spring game. You know, Venables in his press conference today, he he brought up Marcus Stripling. I know that that's one on this podcast. He's a guy we've talked about a lot this offseason. You know, he had a really, really good game to close out the season last year uh, against Oregon in the Alamo Bowl. A lot of guys have been – or a lot of fans and, and, you know, even the coaching staff as well has been kind of waiting for him to take that next step. You know, go from, you know, not necessarily making two or three plays, flashing at times, but be that guy that is a consistent three-down player um, you know, all game long. So seeing Marcus Stripling and Clayton Smith kind of battle it out there on the edge uh, is going to be really fun to watch. And then, you know, another position, um, I'm basically just going to throw all these guys together, and that's the defensive back. Seeing what Jay Valai and Brandon Hall are doing with the safeties uh, and the cornerbacks. You know, Kanai Walker is a guy that I'm really excited to watch and see see how he moves, uh, see how he does in, pre- in press coverage and also down the field. 
Um, a guy like Billy Bowman, who, you know, we've, we've talked until we're blue in the face, a guy that was thrown around all different positions in the secondary last year, kind of a, you know, a plug and play type guy uh, to stop the bleeding. What's he going to look like now that he's, you know, firmly playing one of those safety positions opposite of, uh, you know, Key Lawrence. And then the North Carolina transfer, a guy that's played a ton of football, probably the most experienced college football player uh, on this team, and that is Trey Morrison. What's he going to look like? What spot's going to fit him? Uh, in this Brent Venables defense. And, you know, um, I, I think that another thing that's going to be interesting to watch, Adam, and I really don't think that we're going to see or maybe even get uh, a glimpse of an answer on Saturday is who kind of fits that that cheetah position that Brent Venables has made so famous during his time at Clemson, kind of that uh, hybrid nickelback position that Isaiah Simmons flourished in at Clemson. You know, that's I think he was around 6'4", 230 pounds, was just a freak athlete, top 10 pick in the draft. I really don't know if there's a player – uh, of that size and stature or even athleticism on this roster right now. I think you could maybe make the claim that a guy like Jordan Mukes from a size and speed standpoint or even a Jaron Kanak could possibly play that position. But uh, it, it's going to be really interesting to watch uh, and see what Brent Venables does. And, you know, defensive backs is one, and we've already touched on the offensive line. There's just so many new faces, new coaching staff, new position changes. It's going to be a lot of fun to see how it shakes out. A guy in the defensive backfield I'll have my eye closely on is TJ Graham. There's been mm-hmm. some different uh, murmurs some about him, uh, rumblings, mm-hmm. I guess you could call them, uh, this, even this week, really, about him thinking, hey, he had a great 2021. He should be the guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. That's just rumors at this point. But there's certainly some competition uh, with Connie Walker uh, being kind of a, a, a name that people are buzzing about. CJ Colden's on his way in the summer. So there's some yep. definite competition there. So I want to see Graham. Gen- yeah, I want to see what Graham can do. I want to see watch his body language, how engaged mm-hmm. is he, so on and so forth. And I think, and I'm sure we'll talk about this next week after the game has happened and, and some of the results and maybe try to, I don't know, want to speculate too much, but who who might be on portal watch at that point. We may mm-hmm. even have some guys in the portal immediately after the game, but before we even yeah. go to the next podcast. So mm-hmm. um, that's a guy that, that we're looking at. I know that the next question that we, we had on the, the agenda here was a player that was flying under the radar that we might be talking about after the game has happened. And you mentioned my guy. So I want to, I want to get to him before you steal my thunder with him. Uh, (laughs) Jordan Mukes. He does fit the profile of that guy that could play that cheetah position. But even if he's not in that role, even if he's just, you know, playing free safety, strong safety, whatever, I think the defensive backfield is going to have a guy that's going to get an interception, knowing that the weather conditions might not be great. We know that in the past quarterbacks haven't put up the greatest stat lines in the spring game. Even if he's intercepting a walk on like Rucker or Ben Harris, just all you have to do is make one play. The rest of mm-hmm. it is meaningless. You know, if you're a receiver, yeah. you probably need to get up a couple catches. If you need to, if you're going to be a running back, you need to rip off a couple big runs. As a defensive back, just make one play, one interception, and that's mm-hmm. going to be the talk of of the game, really, in my opinion. I think another player in, in kind of in that position room that OU fans um, are, are going to be talking about after the game on Saturday. Uh, I'm going with the true freshman Robert Spears Jennings, uh, OK Preps kid, uh, at, you know, right here, homegrown in the, from the 918. When you look at the safety position right now, it kind of sounds like uh, it's kind of a three way battle right now between Key Lawrence, Billy Bowman, and Justin Broyles on who's going to you know kind of occupy uh, the main you know main the huge portion of the playing time for those two safety positions, but also look out for a guy uh, like RSJ, fantastic athlete, um, you know, impressed immensely uh, in in some of the high school camps, um, a guy that really kind of shot up the recruiting board 
uh, as his senior year kind of came to a close, uh, you know, ended up being a Rivals 250 guy. Um, so look out for number three, RSJ. I think he has an opportunity. Uh, if it can click for him mentally, I think he has a guy that can, you know, not just make plays this Saturday in the spring game, but he has an opportunity to, to play, you know, a good bulk of the reps as a true freshman later on this fall. RSJ was also on my list. Last question here on football to wrap it up. We wake up Sunday morning. What's the front page story from this particular game? I'm going to say more questions, more question marks than answers after this game on Saturday. I, I think that um, you're, you're going to see a lot of good from, from this game on Saturday. You're going to see both the offense and defense make their fair share of plays. Um, I can't kind of can't wait to see what Dylan Gabriel is going to be able to do. We know from his time, uh, you know, watching his highlights in some of his game tape at UCF, fantastic throw of the football. Uh, a true leader can make some plays with his feet. But what's he going to do now that he's taken the bump up in competition playing at the Power 5 level to play like Oklahoma. So, But also on the flip side of that, going against better competition, from a skill standpoint, this is the best set of skill players that he's ever had the opportunity to surround himself with. So uh, the weapons are going to be there at his disposal. Um, we'll see what he can do with kind of a makeshift offensive line in front of him uh, for four quarters on Saturday. But yeah, more questions than answers. I think you're going to have questions about the offensive line, what that you know top five or six is going to look like. We kind of have a good idea of who maybe the top seven or eight are that are going to be vying for that starting rotation. Uh, and then I think, you, I think you're going to see the defense um, be disruptive. I think they're going to make their fair share of plays. But it wouldn't surprise me, um, you know, with Jeff Levy, the offense that he runs, the fast pace, it wouldn't, see, it wouldn't surprise me uh, if this Sooner offense kind of had its way with the defense uh, on, on Saturday. For me, so, I yeah, went more, a more questions than answers would be my headline. There you go. Yeah. I went a little bit different direction with this simply because the storyline coming into the game over the last month or, or maybe even longer has just been, what is the attendance going to be? And mm -hmm. there's going to be some weather elements potentially. We'll see. Uh, I look at it as, Hey, if there's bad weather, better seat for me, if there's good weather, bigger crowd, bigger turnout. Uh, but it certainly feels like the fan base is being graded by Brent Venables on, on what we do today. And so um, you know, I think it's it's going to be a good indicator, too, of, hey, can Venables get the home crowd a little bit more riled up, a little bit rowdier uh, for home games in the fall? Venables was here when OU went on that super long home winning streak. Uh, I don't recall exactly when it ended. It might have been, I want to say it was in 2014 against Baylor, but it was going on yeah. for, for many, many years um, in Norman. So we need to get that home field advantage back where it's basically impossible to win in Norman. And so I think that's the first step How? of that is getting a good crowd here at the spring game. Can the mm -hmm. crowd respond and show up when Venable says show up? You know, that was something, you know, we've, I don't know how many meetings, how many discussions that we had during our time, you know, in the working at OU and it was how to, um, you know, not just ways to fill up the stadium, but also, you know, once, once game day gets there, how do you improve the game day atmosphere? Because, you know, Adam, we, we've been, you know, kind of uh, all over the region, you know, going to various away games. You know, we've, uh, you know, we've been to a lot of different stadiums, you know, Tennessee, you know, College Station. Um, the OU game day fan experience in terms of the fans' ability to affect the game for the opposing team. I, me personally, I don't think OU does a, does a very good job of that. Um, I think that we have a very quiet stadium. Uh, most of the time we're a very re reactionary type fan base. Um, I think, you know, it's not going to be consistently, you know, from, from the snap to the final second of the game, um, you know, c coming to an end. I don't think that the crowd uh, does as good of a job as it could in terms of impacting the game and making it tough on the away team. So I think that 
uh, Venables has done a good job in challenging the fan base, you know, especially going to the SEC and with what we think is going to be 2023. OU is in for a rude awakening for our for our fans that are going to be traveling to these uh, SEC uh, stadiums because OU is not even close uh, by comparison to you know some of the other premier schools in that conference in terms of the away team coming into coming in. Yeah, two names that were recently hired within the athletic department: Tyler Kofer, uh, who's mm-hmm. going to be. Uh, out of, don't have the exact title in front of me, but essentially the athletic director over marketing. Uh, and yep. then I think it was Leah Beasley. I may have that name wrong, yeah, but uh, she was State. recently, yeah, for the uh, external affairs. And I, I don't want to knock uh, other people because they don't have the same experience that you and I do from working in the athletic department, but these aren't like Venables going out and getting his, like, I mean, maybe he has some connection to these people, but it's not Venables right. saying, this is how I'm going to change the game to experience. These were two openings that uh, were vacated by some of our former coworkers uh, within the last you know, six to eight months or so. So these yeah. were open positions that were going to be filled regardless of whether Lincoln Riley came back or Venables was here. It really doesn't have anything to do with that. I think some people may be a little disappointed when they get to the spring game and maybe not much has changed at that point. And people might get antsier or they may have, um, you know, big expectations for what these two people can do. And I think they will make their changes and it's always good to get fresh new ideas in. But one person coming in isn't going to necessarily dramatically change everything all at once. Uh, maybe a guy like turnip seed is going to come in and do some things with the football program, but from the fan experience side, that's going to take time because there's, there's so many different pieces and elements that go into that. Um, it's not one person just saying, Hey, flip a switch, do this, do that. So there there's, there's a long road. It'll, it'll come, but there's, there's more to do there. As far as attendance goes, uh, it's actually, I looked it up. I was curious about this. This will be, the spring game will be Dylan Gabriel's largest game, attendance game that he's ever played in, which is kind of crazy <laughs> to think about uh, a spring game at OU. But last week, Corbin and I kind of did some predictions on spring game attendance. I think I was more in the 60 range. He was more around 70. Do you have a prediction that you want to put in there? I think it will I, be less with than the, less than 60 with, 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 with the knowledge that we have on the way yeah, that so there's some, know, t- some ticket intel. numbers are kind of training. Yeah. Um, it, it will not be a complete sellout. Uh, we can just go ahead and cross that off the board. There's not going to be 85,000 fans. Uh, I, I think that I think that the sweet spot you would hope, weather permitting, you would like to get to maybe that 55 to 60,000. I think that that's a really really good crowd um, that fills up the the lower bowl. Um, yeah. Which you know, but looking at, across the landscape of college football, some of the other spring games that we've that we've seen over the last two to three weeks, the attendance of theirs. If you can figure out a way to get 60, maybe 65,000 fans. That's pretty damn good. That's probably top what top three, three to four. I know Georgia had was sixty eight. So uh, if, and Ohio State was up there as well. Yeah, it looks like if we can get past Georgia, which was at sixty eight, if we can get just past them, it'll be really nice, and uh, mm-hmm. we'll be number one in the uh, country yeah. for spring game attendance, most likely, mm-hmm. unless LSU or Texas surprises me. I think those are the only two that I'd be concerned about that are happening on the same day. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, like I said, it uh, it all depends on the weather, um, but there's been a lot of tickets that have been purchased. So if we can get some sunshine and some good weather, um, I, I, I think that this will be a very good turnout uh, and we need it. You know, this is uh, a big weekend for Venables. Uh, first spring game. This is kind of his, well, not kind of, this is his first time kind of in person with the team in front of the fan base. Um, it's going to be high energy. A lot of, a lot of alum, a lot of former players. Baker's going to be in town. You know, he'll be excited. So, um, you know, 
if if you're an OU fan and you know we've kind of been you know taking it in the shorts over the last six months or so uh, since since Riley's been leaving, especially with the national media, um, this is your opportunity to you know kind of go out there and um, get behind this team, embrace this team, embrace this coaching staff, and you know show the recruits why Oklahoma is uh, one of the top places in America to play football. Absolutely. So before we jump into some other sports. Definitely want to give the boilerplate. Give us a follow on Twitter at the Mainline Pod. Check out our YouTube channel. We had a, a video that started to take off a little bit last week. Um, the Mainline channel, uh, the Mainline Podcast, is where you can find us on YouTube. So be sure to check us out there. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, whether you've been listening to just this one episode or for the past couple of years, uh, give us a rating on iTunes, Apple Podcast, a five star uh, rating review. I'll even take a four star. Four stars are okay. Three stars. <laughs> No, thanks. I know Sam Bradford was a three star, but uh, let's keep it four and above. <laughs> so uh, appreciate everyone there. And yeah, again, check us out on YouTube. You can see my face. It's uh, getting washed out by the uh, late afternoon sun. So mm-hmm. it's uh, quite the sight to see. So let's talk briefly about basketball. Elijah Harkless mm. entered the transfer portal, came out the other end. It was at UNLV. I think that was kind of a surprise for you, Tyler. Yeah, it definitely was, but then I also kind of thought who the head coach at UNLV was uh, in, in Kevin Kruger, and we all know that Kevin, um, you know, he was kind of instrumental in helping bring Elijah uh, to Norman to, to play basketball as an Oklahoma Sooner. So um, it, it's been th- – this offseason, you know, we're only, what, a month removed uh, from the end of OU's regular regular season basketball. This has kind of been a tough way to start the offseason. Uh, if you're Porter Mosier, so many guys entering the transfer portal, now we kind of wait and see what Mo Gibson's going to do. Um, if I was a betting man, Adam, I don't think it's it's probably likely that he returns to Oklahoma. Uh, I think chances are he's probably going to be playing basketball in Europe, or he might find a new a new destination to to finish out his eligibility uh, in college basketball. But no, losing Elijah Harkless that was kind of your, you know, the the backbone of this team this past year on both ends of the court. So that's a big loss for for Porter Mosier, but it just frees up another frees up uh, another spot that we can fill that hole in the transfer portal. Were you talking about Mo Gibson there a second ago? Yeah. About okay, because he he did yeah. release a statement. I guess it was last week saying that he mm-hmm. would either return to OU or go pro. Was the way I read that. Did I did I misread that? I th- no. I, I thought it was. I thought uh, again. We'll we'll go back and check it. But I think it, I kind of took it as he'll either return to play college basketball one year, hopefully in Norman, uh, or he'll be uh, you know traveling overseas to play in Europe, but. Um, if, if you're Mo Gibson right now, what's really the draw uh, to, to come back to Norman at this point? Yes, you could kind of be the, the star player, the face of the program, but Mo's not really, you know, like the Trey Young or the eyes uh, or the Buddy Heald type of player where, you know, he can, you know, consistently create his own shot, you know, score 20 points a game. Uh, you know, he kind of feeds off being that number two. Uh, number two guard. So it'll be interesting to see. I, I really don't know what Porter Moser is going to do. He's got a lot of sh- uh, a lot of slots to fill right now. Um, but luckily it's only April 19th and he's going to have some time to do so. He's got a head, yeah. he's got a coaching staff uh, spot to fill as well. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, With, uh, David I, was looking, I was looking it up to see, see if I could find the tweet from Mo Gibson. He uh, unfortunately does not make it very easy to search him on Twitter, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, he, I guess he, I read it as he was, okay, here it is. He's playing professional basketball has always been his dream. He's going to go through the process, but not sign with an agent to allow him to retain his eligibility with the intent to come back to Oklahoma. So 
I read that as he's going through the NBA draft process, but not necessarily pursuing any overseas opportunities, which mm-hmm. that's where his, his real opportunity is. Let's be honest. I don't think he has an NBA profile um, to, to make it in the right. league. So I read that as he's returning to OU because he's not going to get drafted in the NBA. He, he'll go through the process. He'll get some evaluations. Maybe Maybe he gets a surprise and realizes, oh, maybe I am a second round draft mm-hmm. pick. I'll go play in the G League and and go from there. But I read that as he's coming back to OU because I don't think he's going to go anywhere in the draft. I guess the only argument I would have against that is he released that statement before knowing that Elijah Harkless wasn't going to be coming back to Oklahoma. So that was really kind of, you know, going to be the one two punch. You could throw, uh, you know, Jalen Hill into that mix as well. But. We'll see if he does come back. I know the OU needs him to come I mean, back. Especially why not? That, a, that's a pre- more of a spotlight for him, though, if there's no Harkless. Because Harkless yeah, is I, a little I, bit of a ball-dominant guy. I agree. But if you're Mo Gibson, you are probably banking on the fact that if you return to Norman, Porter Mosier, whether it's one of the two freshmen coming in uh, or a guy that he can bring in from the portal, I think for Mo Gibson to be at his best in terms of shooting the basketball and being creative as an offensive playmaker, he really kind of needs to be play that two-guard and have a point guard uh, to him that can help facilitate him, get him looks, um, because you know ultimately he could improve this offseason, become better at it. But Mo Gibson, if if there's one thing that we've seen throughout his time in Norman, not really the best in terms of creating his own shot and, and isolating and you know making plays one on one. But we'll see. I, I know that we'll- I yeah I agree with you. And there's not been a ton of success right now. I I'm hesitant to count Joe Bamisile as far as a win right now because I just don't know if he's going to be able to play next year. He needs that waiver yeah. to go through. Right. And I don't know enough about him, but my initial impression was he's basically fills that same role as Mo Gibson. So maybe that's another reason that Gibson says, hey, I go or I stay based on yeah. does he become eligible? But yeah, there's so many guys still entering the portal. I think there was even a guy from Texas that, that entered the portal today. So mm-hmm. there's lots of names out Again. there still, and they seem to be getting better, honestly, because initially it was like, oh, Gardner, Webb, then Indiana State. Now you're getting some Power 5 guys, like Harkless mm-hmm. even was a, a pretty solid transfer out there. So Jordan Goldwire was one. Yeah, so yeah, so it, it it's, hasn't slowed down necessarily as far as the transfer portal for basketball. So we'll need to pick up at least one or two guys still, hopefully a big Mm -hmm. man that can contribute a little bit more there. Um, Let's switch gears a little bit and talk about softball. Is it time to just kill the program? Do we we cancel the season? Do we just shut it down? I say cancel the program. Refund the loves donation. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Just do it away. Yeah. uh, The the win streak is over. Um, Despite taking the series over the weekend down in Austin, Oklahoma did drop the Sunday finale uh, to Texas by a score of four to two, snapping Oklahoma's perfect season and the 40 game win streak dating all the way back to last year in the Women's College World Series. So one game short. One one game game short short. of the school record. So the uh, OU football one, then they would have been one game away. So there you go. Yeah, there you go. So that football 40 game win, 47 game winning streak is still uh, is still intact and is still safe for now. But, uh, you know, Adam, we've talked about it for weeks now on this podcast. How long could they continue this incredible run and keep that zero unblemished in the loss column? And unfortunately, Texas of all teams was (laughs) was the one that was finally able to trip them up over the weekend uh, in what was Texas's first win against Oklahoma, I think since all the way back in. Uh, well, I think it was 2014 or 2015. So Patty Gasso has been dominant over the big 12 uh, and especially Texas. But um, I, I, I don't take anything away from this other than, Oh, you just didn't, didn't play as well on, on, on Saturday or on Sunday. Texas had a really good performance from their pitcher. 
um, and they just got beat. So you uh, you lick your wounds, you learn from this, uh, go back to the drawing board, get better, and you know keep going. It's one loss. We're thirty eight and one. Let's not kill the program. I think it was kind of embarrassing on social media some of the backlash after this loss. Um, but they're thirty eight and one. They're unanimous number one in the country. Let's let's calm down a little bit. Patty knows what she's doing. Yeah, Patty said that there were some lessons learned from this loss. There may have been some people out there that said, oh, we need to lose a game to take the pressure off or to Mm -hmm. learn, you know, what our weaknesses are. And I don't like that talk at all. I disagree with that. That's a real beta mentality. This team has been through tons of pressure. Uh, They won the World Series last year. This is a very experienced Mm -hmm. team still. So they don't necessarily need a loss to identify what their weaknesses are or, or anything. And I don't think there were any signs of, hey, this team was lollygagging or not taking it seriously or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't like a wake-up call or or anything like that. It is disappointing that it came to Texas and not necessarily Texas's best team within the last five years even. They're they're certainly solid. They're top 25 program, and they gave OU a run for their money even in game one too. But um, but yeah, it's disappointing. I would have liked to have gone a little bit longer because that both records are right there in sight. They're right around the corner. So... Um, that's certainly tough. Well, and, and Patty talked about it last year, you know, OU was undefeated, you know, halfway through the season last year, going into that midweek matchup up in Athens, Georgia against a really, really good Georgia team. I think they played a doubleheader that, that day and losing that first one to Georgia, they immediately rebounded 30 minutes later and actually run ruled Georgia. So, um, and, and, you know, Patty even mentioned it after winning the national championship last season, it was right after that they won it in the postgame press conference. She said, that loss to Georgia halfway through the season was probably the best thing that could have happened to them. Um, So many times we've seen it in sports. There's so much pressure when you're undefeated as the season goes on. More and more people start talking. Can they take this all the way to the finish line? Can you have a perfect national championship undefeated season? This is a loss. They're going to learn from this game. Patty said it. We we learned a lot from this series in ways that will make us better. They've got, they've got an opportunity to come back now. They've got a midweek game down in Denton tomorrow night against North Texas. Find a way to get back on track, win that game, come home this weekend. Uh, they host a three-game series against Iowa State. Um, there is no need to press the panic button. Oh, this is still a very, very good softball team. Patty will use this as an opportunity to better this team moving forward, um, and we'll just, keep, we'll just keep the train going. I don't know if it's a trend yet. Once is a in what, in what way? Well, well, let let me get there. Once is a coincidence. Two might still be a coincidence, but Mm -hmm. it wasn't until the bottom of the seventh inning that this team was able to play to run. And we saw the same thing happen against Baylor in the Sunday game uh, in that series, a Baylor team that isn't nearly as good as this Texas team. So Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. It might just be coincidence, but it is odd that it took until the bottom of the seventh inning in both of those games, the both uh, both times that this team was on the ropes. One time they delivered, one time they had already given up four runs and and couldn't overcome it. But it is interesting mm-hmm. that bottom of the seventh, zero runs on the board for a very powerful OU offense that mm-hmm. is, by all accounts, probably, probably just as good as last year, maybe yeah. slightly less, but in that same neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, like I said, um, it, it's one off. They're 38 and one. It took 40 games for somebody to finally trip them up. So you're not going to have your best each and every day. And, you know, we talked about it on this podcast, it kind of takes this Oklahoma softball team is so good. Top to bottom in the lineup, one through nine, the pitching staff is, is excellent. It's going to take the other team 
playing a damn near perfect game, perfect outing from their pitcher, and timely hits, and you've got to pray that you catch OU on an off day. And that was just kind of a perfect blend that OU ran into on Saturday down in Austin. So they'll regroup. Um, they'll take care of business tomorrow tomorrow night, and we'll keep this thing going. Just like baseball, Adam. We're, we're all the momentum in the world. Yeah, baseball. I know everyone that uh, has skipped from the very beginning of the podcast all the way to the end here to get their baseball talk first. I know it's the most popular segment. <laughs> so... This weekend, OU had the non-conference series. Uh, there's nine teams in the Big 12 Conference, so each weekend yep. one of the teams is going to play non-conference. OU had that. Played two opponents, Pacific and Lamar. Lamar being the better team, Pacific, not very great. OU won both those games against Pacific on uh, Thursday and Saturday. Had a Friday mm-hmm. game against Lamar. Uh, took the loss there. It wasn't a great game. Uh, just gave up a ton of runs to Lamar. So you still come away from a weekend feeling like, man, you, you could have had more. Uh, you won the the weekend, not necessarily the series because it was two different teams, but you think, man, there's, there's just more. There's more from this team that can be unlocked. Despite that, still looking solid in the RPI, dropped expectedly so to number 37 after playing some teams that weren't nearly as good. That was expected. You'd like to get all those wins regardless. Um, as we speak tonight, they just uh, uh, started, had first pitch against Wichita State. The mm-hmm. RPI is going to probably fluctuate a little bit over the next couple of weeks. You've got uh, seven of the next eight games, I believe, against schools from the state of Kansas. So not necessarily going to boost you there. It's really going to be towards the end of the year when you get back into uh, a tough stretch of games against TCU and Texas Tech that that RPI is going to rebound a little bit. I don't think you'll see this team scheduling uh, random opponents as the season comes to a close like we might have seen in years past to get RPI boosters. Because they, yeah. they sit in a pretty good standing right now. Uh, they've played a really tough schedule. They've weathered most of the storm so far. Um, they're pretty solidly a three seed in most tournament projections. And in some mm-hmm. cases, going to uh, Fayetteville, where uh, you got the 10 seed in Arkansas, is kind of the, where the projections are right now. I think yeah. that's a pretty decent draw. You're you're kind of on that fringe of the top 10 there. So it's there's potential there. But you really would like to see this team vault into another level and say hey let's go win an entire weekend let's get our first series win since 2019 (laughs) which has been a couple of years and you have perfect opportunities against kansas kansas state kansas is terrible they gave up something like 28 runs to texas tech they gave up Mm -hmm. something like 20 runs to i think baylor um a week or so ago so there's there's potential there um to capitalize on it just want to see a a clean weekend going forward yeah yeah, hundred percent. And you, you talked about it this past weekend. The the series against, uh, I think it was the Thursday game against Pacific, and then the two games against Lamar. Um, OU's bats are coming alive at the right time. If there's one thing that we've seen this lineup, you know, Peyton Graham's kind of leading the charge. The the bats have been really really hot. You've got an opportunity. They take care of business tonight against Wichita State. You can really start to rack up the momentum um, with two series uh, against the two Kansas schools with a midweek game scheduled against Oral Roberts. So it's not going to help you out in terms of the RPI. The two Kansas schools aren't going to really give you a boost. Um, but I think it was Eddie Radosvich that tweeted that OU has played one of the, I think it was one of the top five hardest schedules so far this year in college baseball. So they've got a huge portion of that difficulty already behind them. So figure out a way to take at least two out of three against both these Kansas schools, get some momentum in the conference play. Then they close out the year with TCU, West Virginia. Um, I think that this is a really, really good baseball team. If the bullpen can continue to tighten things down, I think you're possibly looking at maybe a top 15 team nationally in what Skip Johnson has right here in Norman. But like I said, it starts tonight against the Shockers. Figure out a way to take two out of the next three against the Kansas schools. Um, and we'll see if you can't get on a run going into to, uh, Big 12 tournament time. 
Yeah, hitting has been solid, and it's not just one or two guys. It's the entire team that's really stepped up mm-hmm. to the plate. Um, no pun intended. Uh, but Blake Robertson, uh, first baseman, he actually, I think, has maybe one home run on the entire year, but has been absolutely on fire, just hitting it inside yes. the ballpark. Um, and then Brett Squires returning from injury has been a nice uh, addition back to the lineup as well. So there's really so many guys that you can count on. It There there might be, you know, Peyton Graham may have an off night, but other guys are going to step up. I'm not super concerned about the offense. You might want to see a little bit smarter base running, although you kind of take that with the aggressiveness. You know, this team has a ton of stolen bases this year, uh, way more mm-hmm. than they had last year, even at a uh, little more than halfway. So you'll take is, the good with the bad there in some cases. Is it out of the realm of possibility that this team could still play their way into hosting a regional? Uh, is it too far gone at this point? I I don't want to get that hopeful. <laughs> hope is <laughs> Hope is a dangerous game to play. I think you would have to probably go, you probably would have to start going undefeated against the Kansas schools here. I mean, you, you really yeah. can't have room for error there. You need to probably win the TCU and Texas Tech series uh, to finish mm-hmm. out the year and then have a nice run in the Big 12 tournament. I guess it's possible. But at the same time, I don't have a ton of experience watching this team make a run for a host at this point. So I don't necessarily say I, I know exactly what that looks like to see that type of team. Well, and Adam, that's the crazy part too. You know, we've talked about, you know, some of the struggles within this team, particularly the bullpen that's kind of, you know, bitten them in the butt, you know, all season long. But you're talking about, you know, a handful of pitches and then you're talking about a win against LSU, a series, uh, a Bedlam uh, series win, a win against Texas. Um, So this is a really, really good baseball team. If they can just figure out a way for the pitching and the hitting to come together, play complimentary baseball down the stretch here to close out Big 12 play. Um, who knows? This uh, this could be a team that could make some noise going into postseason play. And um, we all know um, once you get into postseason play um, in kind of that, you know, single double elimination format, anything can happen. They've got really good starting pitching. The bats have been coming alive here recently. OU has an opportunity to make some noise if they can play their way into the postseason here down the stretch in May. Yeah, I would say it's it's probably responsibility on where they are stands in 33% of it is avoidable mistakes. Just got to play smarter baseball, whether that's decisions on the field or from the dugout in the coaching staff. Uh, and then 66% of that I think is probably falls on the bullpen. And so that's where Adam's optimism comes into play this week. <laughs> we need to get a drop for this segment. Uh, by the time we do that season might be over, but uh, my optimism this week is that we saw Kate Horton come out and, uh, and start on Thursday, which would have been yep. normally in the Friday rotation, but he yep. uh, pitched four scoreless innings. And then that was paired with, I think just, uh, just one, one and maybe a third innings from uh, Chaz Martinez, normally the Sunday starter, but he came in in a relief role on Friday evening or Thursday evening. <laughs> the days got all mixed up on the uh, Easter weekend there, but, um, <laughs> You like to see that because then you can throw a lefty out of the bullpen and Chaz Martinez. There's not very many lefties coming out of the bullpen right now. So if that can be a solid uh, starting lineup of Cade Horton, David Sandlin, Jake Bennett, then whatever order you want to put that in as far as day of the week, I think that's really solid. Cade Horton's got some some heat. He's throwing 95 mm-hmm. miles an hour. Um, so if he can be controlled, he doesn't have to have a ton of pitches. Just throw some heat there. Um, throw four, five innings. Maybe he's coming off Tommy John surgery. So who knows how many pitches he could really take on at this point, but progressively more and more he's taken on over the, the, the couple of weeks that he's been pitching. I think that's a great sign that helps tremendously to say, Hey, we've got a starter here and now we can 
put what was a starter in Chaz Martinez into a relief role that can take on a lot more and Hey, get out of you know your Friday game with a win. And then you can throw, you know, maybe your ace and Jake Bennett, who I think is probably the best pitcher on the team. Yeah. Um, and then Sandlin, who's been hot and cold, maybe he can come in and sweep you on Sunday. I like that a lot better um, than where this team has, because once you've gone to the bullpen in the past, it's been just an absolute adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've it's seen so many shoot. leads deteriorate. So there's my, my optimism for the week. I love the direction that's headed, whether it's something that comes to fruition this year, or maybe it's next year that Kate Horton becomes your, your ace Friday night starter. I like that too. So there's your optimism. Mm-hmm. Well, Adam, let's wrap it up here, um, wrap up the podcast. Going back to football, well, one final question here, kind of a two-parter. Does OU win the spring game on Saturday? And number two, what is the one thing that you at least hope to see, regardless of the outcome, what's the one thing that you hope to see that's going to allow you to leave campus on Saturday feeling good about this team? I can say confidently, I think Dylan Gabriel's team will win. There nice we go. All-time QB. You heard it here first. <laughs> One of my one of my favorite positions. So I, I do think OU can win this game. Uh, interesting question. <laughs> uh, as far as uh, as far as what I would want to see that would make me feel the most comfortable, and it's it it's almost a it's it's almost a difficult question to answer because you could say, oh, I want to see the running backs, and I want to see Marcus Major get twenty carries mm-hmm. and be a stud, but it's almost meaningless because. The offensive line is a crapshoot. The rotation is a crapshoot. So I don't know that I could say, here's one player, one thing I want to see. It's, I want to, I ask more or less, I want to see what is the mentality of this team? What is their personality? Are they taking after Brent Venables? Are they taking Mm -hmm. after Miguel Chavis? What do they look like? Are they flowing to the ball? Are they engaged? What's the body language look like? So on and so forth. That's what I think I will be able to take the most out of. And if I can see, that building a championship culture may not happen this year, but that's going to give me the most hope for the future. And I, I'm, I'm right in line with you uh, on your thinking, you know, we've, we've seen and heard so many things during this you know spring camp and through some of the, the coverage that the, that the media has been able to, to put out there on social media, you know, talking about the physicality, the W drill flying around, making plays, you know, toughness, kind of being, you know, the main theme of this football team, especially in the trenches. I want to see these guys flying around, making plays 110%. Yes, you're going to make mistakes, but let's do it at full speed, going 100 miles an hour, maybe say, take some chances. Um, if, if you can see kind of an uptick in the physicality, regardless of, you know, who catches however many passes, who gets the most yards, who get who makes all the tackles, if you can kind of see a change Maybe in cultures, maybe too strong of a word, you know, only four or five months into the Brent Venables era. But if you can see a little bit of a difference in terms of the physicality uh, and the speed with which these guys play, um, that, that's probably the thing that I'm going to be looking for on Saturday. For sure. So make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcast. That way you'll get our overreaction to the spring game next week. And uh, until <laughs> then, we will see everyone next Tuesday.